Well, happy Ash Wednesday. That, that doesn't sound right, does it? Maybe happy Ash Wednesday, you sinners of ash and dust. Is that better? You know, it's not like Merry Christmas, the Savior is born. Or happy Easter, Christ is risen. Ash Wednesday doesn't seem to fit in with all the other holy days of the Christian year, does it? Maybe it's because we like to celebrate what God does for us and what God gives us rather than focus on what we can give God. Maybe it's because we would rather focus on the glory of the empty tomb than on the sacrificial journey to the cross. Listen, I'm doubly blessed today. Let me tell you why. Not only was I asked to preach on Ash Wednesday, I was tasked with preaching on everybody's favorite of the means of grace, fasting. Yet, think about it. These two topics complement each other beautifully, don't they? They both involve sacrifice. Think about that word sacrifice. That's a word we like to say, but not necessarily live. In our gospel reading, uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew 16 that in order to be his disciples, we're to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. Disregard ourselves. Repudiate our way of doing things. In Colossians 3, Paul writes that we die to ourselves. We disown ourselves so that God might own us. Yet that's not the gospel message we typically hear, is it? I sometimes wonder if we misrepresent the gospel when we tell pre-Christian people that to give your life to Christ is to find completeness and happiness and self-fulfillment. I mean, that's nothing but the prosperity gospel, right? That message is rampant in the evangelical world. So based on the words of Jesus, maybe our evangelistic message should be give your life to Christ so you can lose your life. Lent is about being honest with ourselves. So let's be honest this morning. I sometimes wonder if we in the body of Christ are so preoccupied with adding to our life experience that we've forgotten how to deny ourselves of anything. We want to be filled with knowledge, even theological knowledge. We search after experiences of God that catapult us into the third heaven, as Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 12. We seek fulfillment and satisfaction in ministry. We, des we desire to have what the culture says we deserve to have. We don't want to miss out on anything the world says is important. Think about your own life here. All of that doesn't sound like denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Jesus, does it? 
Aren't you wonderful seminary students? Ministry is a life of self-denial. Not only for ourselves, but for our families. By giving up a career for ministry, we give up worldly comforts and luxuries that others in the congregations we're serving might commonly enjoy. We spend hours bringing healing to families while we're away from our own. Finances may be tight, but let me tell you, the sacrificial blessings of ministry are so much more important than a fat bank account that others might have. In our ecclesiastical culture of spiritual refreshment and comfort from God, we sometimes listen to the lie that since we in ministry are the ones making sacrifices, we deserve to have what other people have. In part two of The Imitation of Christ, Thomas Akempis writes this. He says, Jesus always has, has many who love his heavenly kingdom, but few who bear his cross. He has many who desire sympathy, but few who care for trial. He finds many to share his table, but few to take part in his fasting. See, to take up the cross of Christ isn't to add to our lives. It's to subtract from our lives. Taking up the cross of Christ is living sacrificially, not through a plastic holiness, but in authentic Christian living. See, it's only when we can take up our cross and love Jesus to death are we going to be a place where the Holy Spirit can fill us completely and perfectly. And it's really true. The more clutter we have in our lives, the less room we have for God. The more we seek financial security, the less trust we have in God the Father to take care of us. The more we try to please God, the less we need a Savior. The more we seek to know, the less we invite the wisdom of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Jesus chose the way of the cross for our sakes. Why is it so difficult for us to take up our cross and follow him? Maybe it's because, should I go here? Maybe it's because we don't want to give up control of our lives. Maybe this is why for many Christians, this is honest, Lent is their least favorite of the Christian seasons. I mean, they're used to having fun. I mean, in Lent, you're supposed to give up stuff, withdraw from aspects of the culture around us, I mean, Lent's not very festive, and we like to be happy. I mean, how do you decorate your house for Lent? <laughs> what does Hobby Lobby have? Nothing. Because it's not necessarily joyful. And joy sells. Lent is a time for the decorations to come down. So we can see ourselves for who we really are. 
Now, in a way similar to the season of Lent, fasting is about denying ourselves of what we want, what we think we need. Now, I didn't realize it at the time, but I first learned about fasting from Montana Bob. He was a hobo that I met in the, in the Pacific Northwest when I hopped freight trains in college for a travel class. I don't think my dean knew that. Um, it was a great J-term class. Take a trip for two weeks and then write a paper on your experiences. So my friend and I hopped trains from Seattle to Northern California and back. Don't do that at home. I, you know, <laughs> Listen, we met an entire underground culture of hobos, and they called themselves that, who looked out for each other. They supported each other. They shared life together. I remember one night we're sitting around a campfire, and I asked Montana Bob if he wanted to share some of the SpaghettiOs I was eating out of a can that I'd just placed on the fire. No, he said, I had some of those last night. And listen to what he said. If you eat something too often, you forget how good it tastes. Now, we might question Montana Bob's taste in cuisine, but he was exactly right when it comes to understanding fasting. See, since everything we have is a gift from God, we shouldn't take any of God's gifts for granted. I mean, when we're without something for a specified period of time, we appreciate it as a gift from God. Now, we don't fast from food or technology or sports or other things because it might be good for us. That's inwardly focused pride. We don't want that in our lives. In fasting, we allow the Holy Spirit, rather than a flavorful meal, to be the nourishment that we need to get through the day. Fasting reminds us that God is greater than the growl in our stomachs or those awful no-coffee headaches. If you fast from coffee, God bless you. That's a real sacrifice. And see, fasting can become a blessing when we see that it's less about withholding something from our lives as it is allowing God to fill our lives. In Matthew 6, 16, when Jesus begins his discussion of fasting, he does so with three very frightening words. Remember what those words are? When you fast. There's an assumption there that the hearers of his words are already making fasting a part of their lives. How uncomfortable are those three words for you this morning? Throughout Scripture, we see regularly fasting combined with praying. Have you noticed that? The prophet Joel called for the people to fast and to cry out to the Lord. In Luke 2, Anna fasted and prayed in the temple. In the book of Acts, the earliest Christians fasted and prayed. 1 Corinthians 7, we see a different type of fasting also combined with prayer. So listen to me here. Fasting and prayer, they're not two sides of the same coin. 
There are two means of grace that are interwoven together. You don't separate them. John Wesley writes in Sermon 27 these words. Listen to this. With fasting, let us always join fervent prayer, pouring out our whole souls before God, confessing our sins with all their aggravations, humbling ourselves under his mighty hand, laying open before him all our wants, all our guiltiness and helplessness. Fasting is a season for enlarging our prayers, both in behalf of ourselves and of others. The earliest Methodists fasted from Thursday evening until Friday evening. Sometimes, following the example of the early church, they'd fast on Wednesdays as well. What might it look like if our entire Asbury community, Wilmore, Orlando, online students, trustees, faculty, staff, donors, friends of the seminary, what would it look like if we all fasted together one day a week, focusing on prayer all throughout the day? What might that mean to this community? See, fasting is about denying ourselves, even in a culture that ridicules that idea. Likewise, Lent is a time in which we seek self-denial so we can focus on the sins in our lives and our willingness to follow Christ, just like the focus of fasting can be. Here's the bottom line to all this. As they say, let's land this plane. The whole of the Christian life is fasting. Because to be a disciple of Jesus means that we've given up the world in order to follow Christ. I mean, that, that sounds nice enough, doesn't it? Y'all are nodding your heads, yes, amen to that, yes. Yet how many times can we not even muster up the fortitude to fast once a week for a few hours? Listen, as we begin the holy season of Lent together, and I mean that together, the journey is together, not alone. May we do so with an honest look at our lives. May we remember our need for a Savior and a Lord. Let's take a long, deep look at our commitment to God. Could we, as Jesus invites, take up the cross of death to follow him? Now, the quick artificial Sunday school answer would be, of course, praise the Lord. But could you do that? Take up the cross of death and follow Jesus? Could you do that, really? Have you truly died to Christ? Have your desires died to Christ? How about your call to ministry? Does that still belong to you? Oh, and those educational pursuits. Are they about getting letters behind your name? 
or about preparing for sacrificial, cross-bearing ministry as a representative of Jesus Christ. See, it's easy in our culture, even in the culture of the church, to focus on a theology of glory in which the battle is won in eschatological victory. Yet the real evidence of our faith is when we can embrace a theology of the cross, taking up the cross of Christ, dying to ourselves and to the world. Now let's not forget that we lay down our lives for Christ, not for ourselves, but so we can show holy love to other people. We don't fast for the sake of fasting, but so that the Holy Spirit can fill our lives so that we in turn can fill the lives of those around us. 900 years ago, the first generation of Cistercian monks had a saying. This is a quote. We don't eat meat, but it's less of a sin to chew on a roast than to chew on a brother. Nobody likes a grumpy, self-focused Christian who feels holy inside. In a few moments when the ashes are imposed on our foreheads, it's a tangible witness to everyone we encounter throughout the day that we are people of the cross. We are people who have died to ourselves because we know that in reality we're just dust apart from the salvific work of Christ. May today be a time to repent of our sins as we begin this long journey to Jerusalem and the waiting cross. Y'all may have noticed, I don't know if you have this little white rubbery bracelet that I'm wearing. Um, a pastor friend in, in Texas was going through cancer surgery. And the entire congregation wore these as he was going through that ordeal. And it says, God is big enough. Living a life of sacrifice, which includes fasting, is impossible in our own strength because we're not big enough. We can't do it. We can't try hard enough. We can't be earnest enough. We can't strive to be holy enough. Thanks be to God who gives us his strength through the presence of the Holy Spirit who's not merely with us, but in us. Let's pray. Almighty God, on this day that we call Ash Wednesday, we just come before you humbly, Lord. Without any of the decorations that other Christian days have is to make ourselves vulnerable before you. Lord, we invite you to search deep inside our souls and to rummage around. Reveal to us, Lord, things about ourselves that we have not seen. Lord, we pray that you will give us a trust in you that we may not have the capacity to lay our lives down for you, but by your Holy Spirit, we'll have the strength to do it. But Lord, give us the will to lay our lives down. 
We thank you for your presence in our lives, Lord. We never, never have to question where you are. Jesus, this is a day that we focus on you, maybe a little more than other days. We think about your commitment, the sacrifice you've made for us. Lord, our prayer, as Paul writes in Colossians, that we might represent you well everywhere we go. Our lives belong to you, Jesus. Remind us of that. We need to be reminded. We pray all of this in your precious and holy name.